Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast, to another episode. Welcome if you happen to be here for the first time. That's exciting. I am coming to you from the south of Spain, where it is ridiculously gorgeous. Uh, I feel like this is the most spring spring I've ever experienced. It's so lush here. There's so much water and it's almost jungle-like. It's so moist. I know so many people hate that word, but it's freaking moist here in the south of Spain. So many orange trees, so many lemon trees, fig trees, olive trees. It's just, I don't know, it's gorgeous. I've never been to this part of the world before, and I don't really even think I've been to this sort of like kind of a climate before. I feel like the most similar thing is maybe like Napa Valley or Sonoma County or something, but it is far less moist there than it is here. Um, really gorgeous, of course, because it is the height of spring. That means um, I'm a bit congested and exhausted. I feel like I have like a constant allergy headache, which is not something I experience often, but it's worth it. It's worth it for the moistness, I gotta say. Um, yeah, I can't believe I'm coming to you from yet another location. I think I probably said this last time, although I'm moving around so much that I don't even really remember what I say from one moment to the next, but it's crazy to think about how many different places I've recorded this podcast in. Um, we'll basically, Chris and I will basically be traveling for a year. We went to Guatemala last September. We were there for a couple of months, went back to the States for a month, but then left for Thailand at the beginning of December, and we won't be back in the States until late August. So early September to late August, that means a year. I have definitely never traveled that much in my life. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting experience. I mean, I've always loved traveling. I think as many of you can probably relate I feel like when you're moving around a lot or you're on vacation or you're traveling, you sort of crave like security and stability in a bed. And then when you have security, stability in your own bed, you're like, I want to experience something new and I want to get out on the road and I want to go on vacation or I want to travel. It's just like a constant negotiation. Um, so definitely feeling that really grateful to be moving around, but also really feeling, uh, that I miss having a home. Um, this is also the first time I've really traveled without having a home to go back to, um, which is really interesting. And yeah, thinking a lot about sort of trusting the timing of life and go in with the flow, which is actually a lot of what this upcoming conversation you are about to hear is about. Going with the flow and just sort of accepting what life throws at you. Um, it's a conversation with Deborah Berger. Deborah is Tao Ruspoli's mom. So if you have listened to the podcast before, you've probably heard Tao on the show. 
Tao is a close friend of mine who I love and who inspires me quite a bit. He is the sort of founder, co-founder and creator of the Bombay Beach Biennale, which is sort of like Burning Man, in my opinion, but better. I Actually, I probably can't say that. I've actually never been to Burning Man, but far smaller and all of the artwork stays. And the point of it is to really invigorate an existing community, which has always been my issue with Burning Man, actually, that like all this time and energy is put into creating such beauty but then it all gets torn down and it doesn't actually support anyone or anything long-term. I guess it supports people, the people that go <clears throat> and gain from the experience, but it seems like a waste to put all of those resources and all of that art and all of that creativity into something that doesn't stay. Um, anyway, so uh, Deborah is Tao's mother, and I remember listening to an interview that Chris Ryan did on his podcast, Tangentially Speaking, with Deborah several years ago. Um, and I can't exactly tell you why, but it really affected me and really resonated with me. And, you know, I assume it was probably because I was at a time in my life where I had just sort of opted out of my entire life that I had been living and really was was deciding to shift things pretty drastically and create a lot of change and do a lot of things in my life that not a lot of people understood um, or that people felt threatened by or uh, that people just didn't expect of me. And then I, I can't really say I expected it of myself, but that process was definitely a process of me getting back to who I think I really was and who I really am, which is definitely someone that takes risks and lives unconventionally and, you know, explores the outer limits of possibility. And I like to think of myself as sort of a responsible idealist. Uh, I really like to innovate and see what's possible, especially when someone tells me it's not possible and sometimes I'm totally wrong and sometimes my idealism gets the best of me, but it's really still the way that I would like to live and something that feels very authentic and aligned to me. And when I listened to that conversation with Deborah on Chris's podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, I definitely recommend. I feel like it's definitely a good jumping off point for the conversation that we have and, and uh, talks a lot more about her past than we talk about. Um, but of course, you can just listen to this conversation as well. It stands on its own two feet for sure. But I really admired the way that Deborah lived her life. And I, I really saw a lot of myself in her and admired the choices she was making and the ways that she took risks in her own life and said yes to things that maybe other people will felt afraid to say yes to. And, um, yeah, it, it resonated with me at the time. And now I've gotten to know her in real life and she's become a friend and really a mentor of mine and someone that continually inspires me in so many more ways, even than I realized she would when I first heard that podcast so many years ago. So I'm not going to say too much before I get into the conversation, but what I did want to say is something related to what Deborah said in our conversation that's been kind of echoing for me since we spoke, which was that she was having a conversation with um, a couple of different women at the Bombay Beach Biennale, which is the sort of art festival that Tao created. And how they were talking about that they were in a phase of their life where they were setting boundaries and learning how to say no and learning how to protect themselves. And that Deborah's reaction to this uh, 
was of course one of understanding, but also that she was thinking about her own life and thinking like, wow, I've really committed my life to saying yes to things. And I think we would both agree. I certainly think, and I'm sure she does too, that there is a time and a place for both. But I do, I don't know, I I don't want to project my own way of living onto other people. I can't, and I don't really have any desire to, and it doesn't work. And as you'll hear in our conversation, Deborah and I feel very grateful for the sort of complexity of the world and the difference that people have. Some of us are far happier um, staying put and following the rules, and that really resonates and feels aligned. And for some of us, that feels like a prison, and I think we need both. And if we just had everyone that was sort of exploring the outer limits of possibility, we would have total chaos. And if we had everyone that was just wanting to stay safe and not really explore the outer limits of possibility, we would have no progress. Um, Not that progress is always good, but sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's innovative and what we need. However, I do feel like, especially in our generation, and in our generation, when I say that, I mean my generation. I know I have people listening to this podcast that are a part of all generations. Um, But in my generation, particularly with women, and this applies to so many things, but, you know, this thing that I talk about sometimes where, like, in the process of correcting, we tend to overcorrect. And so let's say we are in a series of um, really toxic relationships. We don't get along well with our partners. They don't end well. The partner is abusive. And so we might say or react to that by being like, okay, well, I am just not going to be in relationships anymore. Like I need to take a huge major break and relationships are bad and I need to work on myself. And that's probably good, you know? I, I'm basically talking about myself. That's my experience. And I think taking some time for myself and working on my own individuality and my own identity and working on boundaries and working on how do I protect myself was good. Um, but sometimes we get stuck there, right? And uh, this applies to so many different things as it relates to inequality, right? So we experience a ton of inequality as it relates to being a woman or being gay or being a certain race or um, identifying with a certain group of any kind. You know, if you were raised in some sort of like fundamentalist religion, you might say, well, I, you you know, I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do and I'm not going to belong to any group or listen to anyone or any government or any structure tell me how to live my life because that is authoritarianism and that's bad and that didn't end well for me before. And that makes total sense, right? Like when, especially in that context, when we've belonged to a group that doesn't serve us or we've participated in behavior that doesn't serve us or in relationships that don't serve us, that in order to get out of those things and to change the course, we have to overreact. We have to like really opt out, right? So if we have problems with alcohol, It's best not to hang out at the bar, you know? It's best to stay as far away from alcohol as possible. But that isn't the end, you know? Um, That's only a bridge to where we're going. That's only part of the process, is that overreaction. And it's frustrating to me, and, and maybe I shouldn't be very frustrated by it, but Sometimes I see this happening in our culture so much because I think we are so sensitive right now 
to inequality, to abuse and to trauma. Like it's a good thing that we are becoming more aware of the ways in which things are unequal or unfair or ways in which uh, the systems that we exist within don't serve us. And so we're angry and we're reactive and we want to run away and we want to say, no, that's not good. And that's all really healthy, right? Like we need to create and understand who we are as individuals. However, only so that we can come back into a place of belonging within a group, right? Like this whole idea of creating boundaries and saying no is important, but only on a step toward relating once again, right? Understanding who we are as an individual and protect, protecting ourselves doesn't really necessarily serve a greater purpose unless we kind of come back full circle and then allow that new self of ours to exist in relationship. So if you grew up in a fundamentalist religion, and let's be honest, like we all grew up in some sort of fundamentalist culture, our society, I think, is very much like a religion, the values that it has and the beliefs that it promotes. And so a big process of like going through a dark night of the soul or becoming ourselves and becoming authentic and individuated is the process of opting out of that. But that doesn't mean that culture is bad and it doesn't mean that belonging to something is bad. And it also doesn't necessarily mean authority is bad or protecting others is bad or having others protect us. So I really appreciate this conversation with Deborah because... I think it really speaks to the benefit of taking risks and especially taking risks after we've been hurt and not allowing negative experiences or mistakes or faults or fears to define us, but actually using them as like the base and the foundation on which we keep moving and keep growing and not allowing our sort of reaction to something, not allowing our boundaries or our saying no or our protectiveness to go too far, to really make sure that we see that as a step on a journey. So it's totally fine to spend a bunch of time alone, as I did. Um, and it's totally fine to become very skeptical of systems and institutions, as long as you don't become skeptical of all systems and institutions or all relationships because you had some bad ones. Um, I see this with therapy too. People are like, you know, I've just had negative experiences with therapy. So therapy doesn't work for me. And, you know, I think there's all different types of healing and different modalities, different types of therapies, but just because we have a bad experience in therapy doesn't mean therapy doesn't work. I've been in therapy my whole life, and I don't think I really had a good, productive therapeutic experience until I was like 29. So I don't know, out of my 10 therapists that I've had, one of them was really great. And none of them were really bad experiences. And I think a lot of that was my willingness and ability to do the work, not just the um, skill of the therapist, let's say. But still, like, it's good to keep trying and it's good to keep tinkering. And if something doesn't work to not say that it's bad, but to learn from it and try it again. I really think it's such a 
totally optional (laughs) and um, not required way to live life. But when I chose to look at my life as a series of like teachings and that all experiences have, you know, this isn't to say like everything happens for a reason, although I don't know, I do think I live my life in that way a lot, but not necessarily that everything happens for a reason, but that everything has within it a lesson. Everything has something within it that can teach you something about something. It might not even be related to the thing itself. You know, you might have a really bad relationship that teaches you something about spirituality. Um, so it doesn't even have to be directly related to the thing that you're you're engaging with, but to sort of approach the world with curiosity and with openness and with some degree of permeability so that we can learn from things and not be afraid of things. And yeah, just like see life as an ongoing work of art. Oh, sounds so cliche, but like... It's so much more fun that way, I think, and and allows you to be messy, right? How can you create a work of art without getting messy and getting your hands dirty? And like, that's a part of the process. Reminds me that when I was young, I would cook with my mom and I was always like very particular about like putting my hands in the batter and I didn't want to get dirty. And she was just like, Anya, you cannot cook without getting dirty. You can't create what it is you want to create without getting a total mess on you and making a mess. And I think that idea can apply to life as a whole. If we're not making mistakes and we're not making a mess, then we're probably not doing much of anything. Yeah. Anyway, that is very much what inspires me. One of the many things that inspire, inspires me about Deborah, and something that she clearly passed on to Tao because it's something about him that inspires me as well. So I won't keep blabbing. I will just let you listen to the conversation. A few housekeeping notes. If you haven't joined us over on Substack, that is the place to be. I've pretty much like stopped posting on social media. I just don't have the energy. I'm really realizing how... My nervous system just does not feel good on Instagram. Uh, I feel like I've just gone back to using Instagram for what I liked it to be at the very beginning, which was posting photographs. And I've even posted a couple of reels, um, which are just really videos that I'm taking from my travels with music and words, Um, but really using it as a platform for art and not as a platform for marketing and advertising, which is what I feel like it's become. So in the time that I am not spending on social media, I am spending on Substack. And uh, Substack is a platform that you can join for free. If you would like to sign up for a paid membership, you can. It's five bucks a month. That money directly goes to supporting this podcast, which will never have advertisers and will always be free. So if you have the means to support this project and it's something that you value, I really appreciate the donation. But your donation goes to the project itself. Um, it does not, it is not a paywall to get access to the content that I release on Substack. So that is free for all. And if you have the means to pay for it, amazing. If you don't, you're still welcome to join. This was my sort of solution to, to Patreon, which was feeling not so great, uh, which I've talked about a lot in previous episodes. So I won't elaborate, uh, too much on, but if you'd like to join us on Substack, uh, the link is Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot Substack.com. Once you sign up, which you can do for free or for five bucks a month, you will get emails every time I post a new episode. I'm also writing uh, and sort of creating a 
uh, writing arm, a writing arm to the podcast, part of the podcast or part of the project, I guess, sort of um, expanding what a millennial's guide to saving the world is. Perhaps it is now a podcast and um, a platform for writing as well. And I think it will expand into many other things uh, that I'm excited to, to speak about and uh, to elaborate on and to build in the upcoming weeks and months and years. So you'll get emails when I send out podcasts, uh, post new podcasts, when I send out writing. I also just created our first open thread, which is basically like an open forum for us all to communicate with each other. This is something that I had on Discord before, and I'm kind of trying out a new thing, trying sort of how we can create a forum on Substack instead. So if you go to my page now, you will see uh, the second to last post as it says open thread, and you're welcome to comment on it, comment on what people have been sharing, um, introduce yourself and I sort of give you a little prompt, uh, for something to share. And I hope to put one of those out every month or so. I also have plans to kind of recreate and reinvent the book club that we had, um, but make it way more substantial. And I'm not quite ready to talk about what that means yet, but all of that information will be available on Substack when I can organize my life and my thoughts in order to put it out. Um, but the book club is definitely coming back in a new form. So I am looking forward to that. The book club is basically where we all read books together and then get together over Zoom and talk about them, which has been a really rewarding experience so far. And a lot of the books are, yeah, most of the books that we've read have been books that podcast guests have recommended. I'm going to be doing some of that in the future book club, but also expanding upon the idea. So again, the link is onyakots.substack.com. Put in your email and join us. I would love to see you there. Okay. I think that's all I will say. Um, I'm going to play you in today with a song called Confidently Lost by Sabrina Claudio, which I think is so perfect for this episode. I really love choosing music for these episodes. Even before I started the podcast, I knew that this would be one of my favorite parts of the show to not just play random music with each episode, but to actually pick a song that I feel like reminded me of the conversation that I was bringing you. Um, and I have a playlist on Spotify, actually. Uh, it's called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, and it has a little globe in front of it so you can be uh, distinguish it from the podcast itself, which is also on Spotify. Um, and every song that I've ever played on the podcast, there are now almost 200 songs and they are on that playlist. I also have a lot of other playlists that I've created that used to be only for patrons, but now they are free to everyone. Um, so you can find those just by searching Anya Kotz on Spotify. So yeah, enjoy this song. Enjoy being confidently lost. Enjoy not knowing the answer. Enjoy not knowing the shape of whatever it is you are creating. I feel like I am so in that place in my, I mean, I have been in that place in my life for so long of, of just trying to follow the energy of something and, and trying not to be too specific or limited in the expectation of how it's going to turn out. I think that's an ongoing lifelong lesson and practice that I don't think I will ever master, but I'm really enjoying the process of trying. Um, but yeah, it's just really fascinating to kind of say, you know, I don't really know where I'm going, but I know I'm on the right path. I don't really know what the destination is. And I don't even know if there is a destination. This path might be a loop, but of course in this loop and on this journey, I will learn things that when I come back to this point in the cycle, 
I, it will help me and I can go on this journey again or take a different road or a different path. So I am trying to surrender to that as much as possible, being as confident as I possibly can when I feel lost or alone or just not having the answers. So I encourage you to embrace those periods of time in your life too, to say yes more, to take more risks, to know that there is always a lesson. And even if you don't have any idea what the destination is or have any idea where you're going, take the journey anyway. Maybe you'll figure it out along the way. Sending you all my love and I will catch you on the other side.
Okay. We're recording. Cool. <laughs> On this adorable little microphone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with Deborah in her beautiful kitchen. One of your beautiful kitchens, I suppose, <laughs> <laughs> in Spain. Um, it's funny because I, I remember before I ever met Chris, I had listened to his podcast for maybe a year or so prior. And... You know, sometimes when you have a memory and you just, or maybe it's me, but I have a very like visual um, memory, sort of all encompassing. Like I know the location that I had the conversation with this person. And I remember very specifically where I was when I was listening to him interview you. And it was this really rainy day uh, in, in Topanga and the road was closed. And so I had to go on this big windy road out of Topanga Canyon in California in order to get out. And while I was on this very windy road out of the canyon was when I was listening to his interview with you. And I was so taken by it and struck by it. And I think I um, related to a lot of it, actually. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's wonderful. <laughs> I relate a lot to what I hear you talk about, both in your podcast with Chris and I was listening to one last night mm. that I just loved about rewriting your narrative and mm. getting to the point where you just say, I don't want to. Uh, I just want to let go of everything that I think I know or that I've learned from society or from my parents or from a book or yeah. from a publicity or a movie or a poem and really look inward at what is, what is meaningful to me. Yeah. And that is such an incredible point in life. And I was amazed to hear you talk all about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. I, I, I think I remember, I don't remember all of the conversation, but one bit that I remember is that I think, and maybe it's somewhere where we can begin, that you moved to Italy and to Europe around age 12 or so. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and interestingly, when I was 12, I moved to Paris only for a year. And I think my trajectory after was quite different than yours. But I um, remember that experience quite well of having lived in the States well, at that point, when I was 12, I, you know, I was like making these life decisions for myself <laughs> because my parents had divorced when I was very young. I had a difficult childhood. You know, there was a lot of animosity between my parents. Mm. And, you know, those things can be traumatic and mark your life or about rewriting your narrative. I saw it gave me the tools to take care of myself and to have the sense of adventure and want to know the world mm. and not feel afraid because... It felt much safer out in the world than it did in my in my home yeah. growing up. Um, so the fact that my parents didn't get along, I don't know, my, my mother had sent me to my aunt for being incorrigible. And I had a difficult relationship with my mother. And then my father appeared, who I hadn't seen for like six years. So mm. growing up, those very formative years, and said, you know, do you want to come live in Italy? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then... He was married to a very revolutionary painter, hmm. someone who's been with the Living Theater with Duke and Julian Beck. And, and at one point he was saying, well, I'm looking for a school for Debbie. And she was like, you're not really going to send Debbie to school, are you? And they kind of looked at me and said, well, do you want to go to school? And I was like, no. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so, so, you know, I traveled with them and I spent a month in Egypt. I was like riding horses around the pyramids mm. and, you know, went to the Venice Film Festival because my father was an actor and just really saw a whole other side of life. 
Yeah. Before that, I imagine you were in school in the States. Yes. Yeah. And I also went back to school a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, not a lot. I just decided school wasn't really for me, and I was uh, I just didn't feel I had time for school. My yeah. interests were much more broad and... <clears throat> And also, it just, it just didn't work for me. But there was a moment that I decided I wanted to be in school with people mm-hmm. my own age. And uh, and then it just felt, felt strange that there were, you know, all these restrictions and forcing you to do things that if you were there by choice. And and then I just, a lot of things happened. And I was sort of going between two places, between L.A. and Italy. And, and then at 15, I just decided to go off on my own adventures yeah. <laughs> and hitchhiked across <laughs> North Africa and uh, lived on boats. And and then uh, and then by the time I was 15, 16, I felt I was already quite grown up because I had had a lot of experiences and I was making my own choices. Yeah. And, uh, and then I made, uh, I met my father's agent and she said, you know, do you want to make movies? And I was like, sure. See, I had this conversation with these two wonderful young women just recently in Bombay Beach. They were both talking about how they're learning to say no, mm. you know, and, and create boundaries. Mm. And, and I just thought, you know, my blessing or gift in life is that I've always said yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. then you have to just go with it all the way. You can't, like, say yes conditionally if it works out or, right. you know, if it's successful or if I advance and you know you just have to say yes to the experience yeah and accept uh, also i heard you talk about this of uh last night in the podcast it's okay to make mistakes if it doesn't go the way you think it was or you know you learn from that and this idea that things have to you know, we always have to make the right choice right of course we try to but yeah yeah and that it's a that making mistakes is a sim in my opinion a symptom that we're on the right path to and living an interesting life you know because you know it you know that this isn't right for you yeah. you know it, you, you, that's such an important part of yeah. of one's discovery yeah do you think now now that you're older and sort of looking back on this very adventurous by today's standards at least unconventional life it must be interesting to you now to look at the way the world is, the way, you know, or looking at a 16-year-old or um, I think also one thing we have in common is that we were in relationships with men much older than us. And and this was something that I think my parents, to their credit, were always like, well, if I tell you not to see this person or I tell you not to do this thing, you'll probably do it anyway, just behind my back. So I might as well meet the person or try to be comfortable with it. And um, well, yes, he was coming from such a different world. You know, here he had, his family had a thousand years of history. And in looking at the past, it's so important, like one's childhood, to just say, okay, that's that's my path. Yeah. And today to look at and say, oh, that would be, you know, you know he'd be yeah. in, in jail or this would be, you know, so uh, looked at in such a different way. For me, it was just this great love and something so unknown to me because here I was this kind of free-spirited California group, you know, born in New York, come from a broken home. And then here's this man who has a family that is so um, significant in history. And uh, well, you know, Dado, he was a very original person. So, I mean, apart from the fact of all of his, his family ties and titles and things that and a castle. I lived in a castle for 10 years in this Renaissance, beautiful place. It had 
again, so much history. Yeah. And coming from California, I mean, something that's 100 years old is like old. And here was this, you know, this castle that had been a monastery that went back to like the 12th century. And it had like the first Italian garden. And But he wore all this like on his sleeve. That was not defining him. Right. He was such an incredible, uh, also, adventurer and left home when he was, like, 15 and lived with a woman in the circus and uh, had, you know, he had all these stories that I just loved. I was, you know, so taken by him and his charm and his um, elegance, but not because he was, like, you know, not like a black tie elegant. It was because he had, like, this... Uh, you know, he could be wearing just like a loincloth and yeah. he had this this elegance. And he was, I think what I loved most about him was that he was, he really saw people and was present mm. rather than who they were or, you know, there, there was none of that. You know, he could be as taken by the man on the bridge who's a, you know, a farmer yeah. or a Laotian opium smoker or someone in Bombay in the Red District, you know, as much as a, 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 a prince or a, a king or a queen, he, he really didn't look at that, yeah. which, yeah, I love that about him very much. Yeah, I think it's, it always, for me, I've always, not necessarily intentionally, but found myself spending time with people who are a lot older than me. And I think I just sort of naturally, intuitively felt like, well, you've done things and experienced things and I want to learn from you and sort of felt a lot like, far more alienated, I think, from my own generation of my own age group than I did. Yes, then unfortunately <laughs> what happened was um, because I had, you know, my life was getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. I was making movies. We had these two two children. One was born in Thailand and one was born in, in Rome, yeah. in Tao, who you know, and <laughs> yeah. Bartolomeo. And uh, I felt he, as he was getting older, he was afraid of losing me. So... Mm. He was trying to, he had this big life that I wanted to live as well. Yeah. And yet he was afraid of losing me through all this and would actually try to, I felt claustrophobic. I felt he yeah. was trying to confine me, which is, uh, you know, that's, I needed to then break away. And, but I fully lived the life and the love <laughs> and the time that we were together. But I want to go back about that, about when you look in past in the past yeah. you know how important it is just to just just to look at it and not judge it and not say oh maybe this was wrong or he shouldn't have done that or i could have continued that you know that, yeah. that just is so so absurd it's like yeah. and and i see so many people get stuck in the past in that way like with a regret or with a something a trauma or yeah and and yet one can just you know yeah. be in the moment and that's all we ever really have right yeah, and things, I don't know, I feel like even in my short life thus far, I feel like there are things in my life that I enjoyed more than other things, let's say, or times when I felt more myself than other times. But I can also see how things built on each other, right? So my experience in that place doing that thing allowed me to then sort of leap from there to do this other thing. And you're sort of learning from people and from experience as you go. So even if, you know, like I worked in in marketing for a long time that wasn't really my passion but still I learned so many skills in that that then later on helped me do all these other things right so <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. absolutely and you know sometimes you see the connections and sometimes you don't yeah 
uh, I was never <clears throat> that enamored with acting. I mean, there yeah. were moments. I had moments that I was completely present, and it was all it was it was wonderful. Mm. But <clears throat> where it came very useful to me is when I, what I really love is art and architecture. And I got I wanted this job in this hotel at the Punta Sur and uh, with the Whaley brothers in 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 the coast around the hurricane and. Uh, and I just went in like, with used all my acting uh, <laughs> skills, and I said, "Yes, I can do this. I've done this house, and I had done things in my private life, but I presented them in a way, and I knew that if I got the job, I could put together a team, and I could do the and and so there it was very useful. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. <laughs> right. Do you think do you think that's something that we have within us, or do you think, or maybe both, or something we learn from experience? Because I also feel like I've, I've wanted to do things that I know I'm not necessarily quote unquote qualified for, but I'll just figure it out. Right. And like, what, what is that? Yeah. I, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had a, I had a friend who was very good with, with things of uh, design and that and yeah. she came up to see this house in Carmel that I was working at and with, with another friend. And I was asking them some, some of their input and they're like, Deborah, you think about this 24-7. There's nothing we could <laughs> add to that. And and it's it's true. I get so completely immersed in it. And then there's no competition. I mean, how many people are that in love with what they're doing? Yeah. You know, so if you really believe you can do it, and there's that challenge, you, know, you have to rise to this challenge, which is so exciting too, that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. You just feel like you can do it. And, mm -hmm. and it's and it's on your path and you embrace it dive into it how did you find what was the sort of experience of how you started working in design and was it always tied to the art or how did that sort of blossom I always evolve? loved creating spaces and environments and atmospheres and what I call integrating art and architecture mm. and I love to do things on my own whether it's something in ceramics or a painting or something that is is or doing a, a model but I also really love that uh Kind of uh, interconnectedness with the people that you're working with mm. and you form this kind of alliance and you create this vision and sort of respect for each one what they do best so it took me till I was in my 40s to actually realize I could do this and people really you know in, also responded to it yeah uh, before that I just sort of thought well okay it's something that I love to do but you know I would do it with the you know like with the dado in the castle or another relationship with a man David we built a house together but um I never thought I could actually go into a hotel and say this is these are my ideas for your design and let's do these 50 rooms and you know the restaurant and the lobby and yeah. the floors and yeah uh, you know that was but it, it was just like this moment where I just felt I have to try I have to try and I had no idea <laughs> um, but I think we have these, we have these, uh, like intuitions that that's yeah. the path you're supposed to take. And I wasn't paid very much. It wasn't the money that was driving me. It was just really, I, this place spoke to me and I wanted to, you know, I'd say like, let's put peacocks and let's, you know, f take away all this asphalt and make a lake. And suddenly the workers are like breaking yeah. up the asphalt and <laughs> creating, we could have flamenco over the bridge and have people dancing and, yeah. um, so I was also very lucky to find myself in a place where people were responsive to me. It was like the right time and the right place. And 
and it was a very difficult working situation because the brothers who owned it didn't get along at all and you know everybody had different ideas but I remember the moment where they said okay listen to Deborah yeah. <laughs> it's like all that fight to uh, be heard and get uh, yeah. accepted or appreciated yeah <clears throat> Yeah, it's interesting. I remember, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with Tao about this too, this sort of capacity or, or not even capacity, but desire to kind of think about like, what are the outer edges of possibility here? I think, you know, it's so interesting to me when people talk about things they want to do, you know, when I have this podcast and I'm predominantly speaking to people in their 20s and 30s. And there's a lot, I feel like people saying like, how can I sort of take off in my life and live an unconventional life or do something interesting. I'm not really passionate about what I'm doing. And this idea that like, in order to take that leap, there needs to be some degree of safety and comfort. And I always try to say like, no, the whole point of the leap actually, <laughs> and you won't actually ever move if you wait for the safety and the, the certainty of it. Um, and yes. like, there's this like, I also wonder in, in the sort of life that you lived, you were sort of on the outer edges of possibility, right? Like, you weren't necessarily living a conventional life, going to school, doing these conventional things with conventional people. And so it was like, well, if this is possible in life, what, al what else is possible? How can I sort of apply that same, you know? Well, Jim Carrey had a beautiful story about mm. that because he said his father, who was a comedian, actor, musician, and he gave all that up to have a serious job selling insurance <laughs> yeah. so he could give a safe... Right. you know, place for his family and have a paycheck. And then he, then the, the company went bankrupt or he got fired. He lost the job and suddenly they were, they were homeless. Mm -hmm. And he said, so you can fail even if you get your degree, even right. if you take the quote safe road, you're just as likely to, to fail. And then you have the regret of not having followed your heart and your, that voice that was taking you in it. I think that voice is really important to, to honor it but also to nurture it. Mm. Like you're not going to just all of a sudden having lived a conventional life that you think is secure, then be able to have the tools and the um, intuition and instinct that is going to guide you in the right way. Yeah. Um, so I find so many life choices are about keeping that, that compass clear. You know? So it's like if something gives me great joy and excited, I'm thinking, yeah, let's, you know, let's go into that ruin. And I see it like, this. you know, don't be too logical about it. But I know that I can trust that voice. Yeah. I know that that voice is going to take me, you know, maybe to a place. But I've also just loved the unknown. I just love the unknown. It has all these possibilities in it. And I, like, my sister doesn't at all. She's like, no, yeah. <laughs> I only want to stay safe and be in what I, you know, yeah. know. Yeah, I also remember talking to Tao about that, too, because I think I've always historically been kind of frustrated that everyone didn't think in the same sort of way that I did, sort of, like, creative and innovative and what could we possibly do here? Um, and I remember Tao said something like, well, yes, but if everyone thought that way, it would be total <laughs> chaos. And that's I was like, true. okay, that's a great point, actually. That, yes. And it, it actually led me to feel um, more sort of thankful for both the people that were sort of following the rules and, and staying within comfort zones and also those of us that 
challenge the comfort zone and and think outside the box. I have a great <laughs> respect for people like Patrick Hausen, right. partner of his yeah. podcast and lecture neuroscientist who you know has yeah. like twelve years of of university of degrees and things. I mean, I just that I realized early that that wasn't for me, but. Yeah. Thank goodness we're all different. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, you know, we were talking about Bombay Beach last night, and just that all these incredible people that are so different, you know, they're, and, and yet with this, with this connection and something that ties us all together, and, uh, and I just think, yeah, life is, is like that. Yeah. There are all these incredible interconnectedness. Yeah. It's not a small world. It's an extremely vast, infinite universes but we have this interconnection and, yeah uh, but yeah again <clears throat> just uh accept seeing things as they are you know there's this, you hear it in every spiritual path and yeah. every uh you know you can do a lot with what if, if you can just be present and seeing things as they are and not have all this baggage about uh what could have been or should have been or blaming or all this stuff yeah. that just blocks that energy and that knowing Yes. Yeah. And I think as we get older, one of the gifts, and there are many, is that you kind of know it's going to work out. <laughs> you know, whatever skills I've acquired at this point in my life, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe everything changes in this world. Here a lot, and people are talking about a lot of this collapse of our civilization. Yeah. So to the best of my ability, I will bring my skills and my uh experience and see what I can bring to the world right you know, to this new world or to this catastrophe or whatever it is we're, we're going to be going through um, but yeah staying staying present and just seeing it all sort of like okay this is what is not what I think should have been or whatever yeah. okay then you can do a lot with that and again, this knowledge of knowing that you've gotten through this, I've gotten through that, and yeah. you know, you've lived through enough things as right. you get older that you say, all right, I know it'll work out somehow. Yeah. Yeah, the experience is definitely helpful. Um, yeah, I wanted you to elaborate on this story. I also remember you telling when we were in Santa Fe, and I think you mentioned it this morning as well, that you were going to an event and you, wasn't, you weren't quite sure what it was going to give to you, and you weren't very excited about it, and then you sort of changed your perspective. Yes. And that that informed a lot of sort of how you lived your life. Huge. I look back at that moment. I remember it was 2012. <laughs> yeah. because I was uh, been invited to this event where they were unveiling a Picasso. It was this art foundation, and I didn't really know the people, but it was around Christmas time, and... Um, and I'd said I'd go, and it was up in Catalonia, and I was kind of thinking, what am I going for? I don't really know these people, and, you know, what will I, what am I looking for in this experience? And suddenly I shifted and thought, instead of thinking, what am I going to get out of this, this, uh, this experience, let me think about what I can bring to it. And that is such a big shift, because then it was all exciting. And then, like, when I got there, I was given, like, Mass amounts of flowers. I did like 16 flower arrangements. I was helping with the kitchen. I was helping with all these things. And I was, I was, um, I was a part of what was going on and not looking at it, which I think in my, I don't know, I think when we're younger, when I was younger, I was looking more for things that were trying to define myself or um, validate or there was something I needed to get 
the unknown was uncomfortable. Uh, you know, then again, it depends how you look at it. Because on the other hand, you're young and you're just <laughs> open and you don't have any sense of like uh, your time is on your side. You can, yeah. you know, things can, can, uh, yeah. So I, so yeah, that was a that was a very significant moment. I just realized how much more I enjoyed myself when I start thinking about what I can bring to a situation or to a place like Bombay Beach too. You know, rather than doing my artwork, it's like, wow, what can I do to make this whole thing work better? Like the garden or this park, or the, uh, you know, paint something in the in the tower. You know, bring a sculpture, and then you have this other sense of meaning and of just being. Rather than trying to prove myself and stand out as an artist and sign my work, you know, oh, this is like so unfulfilling. Yeah. That's that's what I think we have to look at. Yeah. It's like look at people that are very successful and have all the limelight on them. It's it's not very appealing, you know? I mean, yeah. it's just not. Instead, when and, and again, as well as I get older, I just feel I have so much more to offer and give to the world or to people or to to situations and and that i think is highly overlooked through experiences through um, yeah whatever whatever i've learned through <clears throat> eldering you know yeah. getting to a point where uh yeah looking more what i have to give yeah, it reminds me of something that Chris talks about a lot, that sort of life, not that it's super linear in this way, but that life is sort of filled with these inhales and exhales that, and especially when we're younger, we're doing a lot of inhaling, you know, we're absorbing and we're learning and we're curious and we're sort of open. And then as we get older, we can sort of give those things back and sort of share what we absorb and exhale. <laughs> Very well put. Yeah. But again, listening to your podcast, I'm amazed at how many of the same things we're thinking about. Yeah. And you're you're much younger, but you have these same. It's the same quest. I mean, there's something about being alive on this planet today that we have an interconnectedness. Yeah. But to hear you on this very similar journey of looking and embracing the the question rather than feeling you have to know the answer, that's just brilliant. Yeah. I, I that touched me deeply. And it just kind of makes it all make sense because if we had eternity and if we knew everything and our purpose and meaning and, you know, yeah. well, then where is the, uh, you know, it, it's all about engaging in the question. Yeah. And then, you know, then it's just so, so vast, but you have to be okay with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. something yeah, miserable it, in that situation. Right. And I, I have to know, but you can't. Right. Yeah, you said something last night about like logic getting in the way of, or you said that today just now too. <laughs> um, and I think that's so true. And especially for those of us that, you know, are intelligent and capable of being intellectual. I mean, you can just go around and around and around in circles about what makes sense and what you should do or what you shouldn't do. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, tr figuring out how to manage the conflict between the sort of, lo quote, logic and the intuition of something. And that's what I'm very interested in exploring more yeah. and opening that channel more in my life right now. Because yeah. I love functional art, things that you touch, the plate, the lamp, the the staircase, the doorway you go through, you know, doing mm -hmm. mosaics and, and sculptures of fireplaces and <clears throat> that... You know, what we touch and use every day. 
But then I see artists that do abstract painting, and I just, that process is so intriguing to me, and you need to uh, just go in this other dimension with it, and I'm... I'm intrigued with that, and I'm experimenting and exploring a bit, like with, with ceramics to do something abstract or a painting, and and to learn how to open that channel. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's so fascinating. Yeah, uh, and it's not an easy process. You know, I feel like in a way when I say, "Oh, I want to." Uh, immerse myself in ab- abstract art and explore that it's kind of like saying oh I, I want to you know learn a bit of opera right now you know, it's, like, it's a lifetime of or maybe not maybe it is just opening opening that channel yeah well it's interesting you said that about the tangible too because I'm also really interested in in that which is tangible and grounded and I think because I I'm very interested in spirituality and esoterics and and I find it very problematic when we uh, allow ourselves to sort of be taken off by that, right? Like become very ungrounded by that. Um, and I'm always thinking about how can I, you know, how can I take these sort of um, subjective, you know, uh, nonsensical ideas or um, ways of thinking about the world and and actually ground them into the world somehow, right? Which I think is maybe what abstract art is. It's like, I have this totally unconventional um, idea that doesn't really follow the rules, but I'm sort of taking that and I'm, I'm bringing it down to earth and I'm making something that you can see with it. Um, and so it's like, even here, right? If you're interested in design and architecture, which you are too, it's like, how can we sort of take those abstract ideas and bring them down to earth and like you know I think that's sort of what Bombay Beach is like in a way I mean those are totally uh, so many of the designs and the things are outlandish and and unconventional and and um uh surprising um but yet you're in them and engaged in them and existing within them in a really interesting well I think it's also important to be skillful at something so you need to learn how to do that maybe you have a song or something you want to express and if you don't know about music, or if you don't have the uh, the 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 uh, way of inter of, of manifesting that, right. so it's that process is is so important. Otherwise, right. it just stays as an idea in right. your mind. And I think also at your age, it's important to build something. Yeah. You know, the ground have a you're looking at land, you're looking at a place, yeah. you want to write a book. Uh, these are the more life it, I'm very engaged in life and I admire people that can just be I mean these very spiritual beings they're not about changing anything they're about just being being present and loving and uh, compassionate kindness and then that's really enough you know, if one can master that and right. really live with an open heart and and be generous those are as important as, you know, more important than building something. But for me right now, I still love to build things. <laughs> so, so uh, but, uh, yeah, there's different times for different things. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's also the, the, um, the intention you have in building something. Again, if you go back to, like, this idea of signing your work and being known as an individual that is so... Uh, cultivated in, in, in the United States, especially uh, a beautiful thing in Bombay Beach is that people aren't like 
sun. You know, you find these beautiful things that surprise you, like a hammock with a rainbow over it, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, the open door. I don't necessarily know then the New York Times and other people write about who yeah. these artists are, and, but it's uh, it's just beautiful just to create something and give something to someone else unexpected. They'll walk down the path and see this poem or they'll see something and the knowing that you you know that somebody might respond to it that's so much more important than getting credit for things right that's way overrated mm -hmm. uh, to be you know confined by what people know you for too yeah yeah the community I'm interested to hear how you experience that and um, I know you're very interested in building community and doing things with other people and, and fostering and cultivating that. Is that something that you always felt or something that sort of developed it in importance over time? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think we all long for that. Yeah. You know, who wants to be alone on a hill <laughs> in a palace or whatever? No, you want to be uh, immersed in, in uh, I mean, I, I love my moments of solitude uh, but if it's just about that, it's like, what's that expression? Doing a soliloquy for a tree. I mean, yeah. you want to be expressing it and we are, uh, we need each other. We look for that. And that's so much more fulfilling, uh, to actually do something together, like building something and everyone, you know, is, but they have to be really in, in love with what they're doing as much as I am or not as much, it's not a competitive thing, yeah. but uh, then you come together. It's like great musicians that are playing together and they're listening to each other. And, I, you know, my father started a community in, when I was uh, very young in, in Sardinia, but it was a bit, uh, it was so anarchistic and so unstructured, and it was too much his thing because he was making the money. He would make the movie and come back and, and sometimes it was great, and sometimes it was just like a madhouse. Um, so that didn't make me really attract, be attracted to a community. I think that came a bit, that came a bit later. I mean, maybe here, maybe in my my forties when I started just thinking about uh, again more like <laughs> that 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 joy of. of doing things and creating something with other people. And I love music or cooking for that reason, yeah. because it's just that moment of exchange and of, of uh, I mean, yes, you can make a recipe and you can write the music down, but it's really about that discovery. Like what do we each, what ingredient do we each put into it? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about, I'm curious if there are any other things sort of when you think back, you know, things that at the time I remember when I was younger, like my mother decided she wanted to move us all, my brother and I, to, to Paris when I was 12. And at first, this was not really something I wanted to do. I, I felt very engaged with my friends and my life and didn't really know why we were doing this and hadn't really been to Europe before. Um, and then, of course, ultimately, now that I look back, I'm like, <laughs> thank God we did that. You know, that was such an important experience for me. And um, like, it's interesting to think about the community that your, your father had and maybe like what other sorts of things from your past do you feel like, oh, I'm really glad I had that experience. I didn't quite know what was happening. All of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All yeah. of it. I think, you know, it's everything and nothing. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, to, to try and think back now, what are the kind of milestones or more important things? I, I think mm. one thing I realized is it's, it's all important. Yeah. And not, not at all. Right. Which is kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, again, I go back to music. I think it's just those, those moments where you, where you have something to, uh, that, just that immediate I- interchange rather than, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, both. I, yeah. I think it's really important to cultivate the inner self right. you know, and it is to, to connect with other people. Yeah, I think about that a lot now, the individualism versus sort of collectivism, especially now in our culture. That's like exactly something that Bertrand Russell writes about. Like it would be the most, you know, normally to develop one's inner self and one's uh, spirituality and uh, expression. But in the world we're living in today, it's so much, it's so important to be a citizen. Right. You know, how to know how to be with other people and, yeah. And, and we don't know how to, we, very few people learn that, you know, we, we're not really, we're certainly not taught it in school. I mean, our, our way of learning to, you know, socialize is, uh, is not really that essence of like, how do we make things work for each other? No. Right. Which yeah. is again, the tribal <laughs> way, the, right. the, the village, which, more meaningful and yeah. fulfilling. Yeah, it's it's difficult because I feel like I I when I hear people talk a lot about you know individualism and sovereignty and protecting oneself and one's body like of course I relate to all of these things and I think you know especially having lived I think a bulk of my 20s not really doing what I wanted to do and not really living the life I wanted and I think following a lot of like cultural expectations around what I was supposed to be doing it was such an important process for me to break free of that and be like no like this is who I am and this is what I believe in and this is what I'm all about but I think sometimes we might get stuck there or take that too far and I think like ultimately yes, it's important to know who we are so that we don't get sucked into a cult or a belief system or a life that doesn't, you know, align with us. But at the same time, if we're, if we don't then become embraced by a community that embraces us as an individual, then what's the point? That seems like such a lonely existence. Um, and like, it's so important to well, you know, we were talking about this uh, yesterday, too, about well, this is something I think about a lot of free will, right? you know, and having one's path and being able to just look at it and, and accept it and embrace it, <clears throat> especially in the past, but certainly the future, too, and the present. Um, but what part of you is able to make that choice? You know, uh, we all have ex- experienced things where you know you want to get out of it, but you can't. Like you said, yeah. this whole life that you had that was making you sick. And uh, and uh, what what is it that gives you that leap of faith to move at that time and to just say, okay, I'll go into the unknown or I'm going to uh, rewrite my narrative? Uh, I don't know. Is that a choice? Yeah. You can want it, but you can't do it. Right. Uh, 
you know. And you can't force someone else to do it. I mean, I think that's a big lesson too. No, never. That's one thing I've learned on like every spiritual path is that, you know, the one thing you're not, I think Rudolf Steiner talks about that too, in like the knowledge of the higher worlds and the attainment of them. The one, one of the rules or laws are you don't try to make somebody else do something, anything. You You can... They can see you, or you can suggest, or you can care, but you certainly can't impose your will on someone else. Yeah. Or even, like you said, on yourself, I think, a lot of the time. I remember asking a therapist once, like, when will I stop doing this? And she just sort of simply said, when you no longer want to. You know, like, (laughs) it was just not really the answer I wanted necessarily. But, yeah, like, there was no way that I could sort of force, there's no way that we can force ourselves to... Yeah, okay. I I love that shift we just made from like other people (laughs) putting the will on other people and doing it on yourself because it's the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. There was this very interesting uh, neuroscientist, Patrick House, talking Mm -hmm. at uh, Bombay Beach, one of the the Biennale, one of the lectures. Fascinating, you know, when you actually look at the brain and what happens that you can take a traumatic experience and then it can be something, you know, a stepping stone that you say, thank God I had that experience because now I learned this mm-hmm. and now I've, it, it took me to this other place. And, and you can see that if you're not uh, clouded by all the things you think you wanted to have happen or, um, or again, the judgment or uh, mm-hmm. uh, blame. Those are all big hindrances. Yeah. <laughs> but what in the brain allows you to shift from something traumatic to something that raised your consciousness. No idea. It's nowhere in the brain. It's nowhere to be seen and you can't control it. Certainly not. I didn't will that because like you say, you could say, I'm tired of this behavior. When will I stop doing this? And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Chris and I talk about this a lot that, I mean, and I remember this too. I remember sort of when I was stuck in a place or doing something that I didn't totally enjoy or didn't light me up. And and even at the beginning, making a decision to do something differently, I kept thinking like, well, someone needs to give me the rule book or someone needs to just tell me these are the steps you need to take in order to find the relationship you want or find the life you want. And it's fascinating to sort of be on the other end of it and realize like there is no such thing. You know, I can't tell someone else how to break free or how to be authentic or how to, you know, do what it is that lights them up because ultimately that's their path and they need to find their own way to do that. Um, and so it's, it's difficult because on the one hand, we really want to like help show people how to do these things. But on the other, it's maybe it's so true. If you, yeah. you, by learning to do it yourself, that's the yeah. best way for anyone to, to teach anything. I mean, well, maybe not. I mean, there are people that can teach things that they don't know themselves. That is right. possible, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you can learn things from people that don't necessarily... I mean, it's like, what's that saying? You know, if I can't be a good example, let me be a... a uh, what is it? Where they like, show somebody which way not to go. Right. So sometimes right. you can learn from from that. Yeah. Is your experience? And I know you were giving Chris shit about talking about 
being old and that you were <laughs> <laughs> that we should represent elderhood in a, a sort of more positive light I'm I'm curious if in the process of getting older like is it what you thought it would be is it more exciting are you oh well that's yeah <laughs> hmm. was it ever something you were afraid of you know getting older or well I think it thought about it more like you know I guess middle age you think about it you know oh my god I'm not a you know this is uh, a new a new stage of life or a new phase but um, yeah I think it's way underrated you know of like there's so many gifts that come with uh, with what eldering and I think there's so much focus against it in the States. There's such a stigma, especially in Hollywood. Like, you know, it's like almost yeah. illegal to get older, you know, yeah. to age. <laughs> and uh, and there's so many... I'm much happier in my life today than I was, I think, at any other point. The, the, the thing is to stay engaged. And like I often hear people... I mean, not that often because I hang out with some pretty cool <laughs> elderly people too that are still very engaged in in life and uh, and again having something to give um, that gives life value. Whereas, uh, yeah, being being younger, you're thinking so. So yeah, it's way under underrated. I think what is it? Oscar Wilde said, you know, what a pity the youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Uh, that's way overrated, right? To be to be young, but it's a process of life. I mean, just look at look ahead. You know, we're all going to we're all like born, have these experiences, get older, and we'll die. Right? Yeah. That's not a shock. We yeah. should, in some way, be able and, and be able to embrace that whole process. Uh, so I just think anything we do and say to to reconfirm that stigma is uh, we, we need to break that taboo. Like uh, Timothy Leary, in the end of his life, he was like, I'm crossing the, the breaking the, the, the last big taboo is death. So he wanted to do it very publicly. Um, and yet we have such a hard time just looking at it. But having been through my mother's death, my father's death, my precious Jasmine, my Labrador, uh, and close calls with death with both my sister and my son, it's like that incredible moment. I mean, when my mother died, it's like when she left her body, it's like suddenly you're in this, in between these two dimensions, and you've just been with somebody they've now left. And I just felt this, uh, I don't know, it's like timelessness, it's formless. I'm, I'm quite intrigued by what will happen next, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and to, to, to see that we're in all these different stages. Why are these more appealing than those? I mean, it's, it's all we're and we're all on this tra- trajectory of, so, so I just, yeah, I want to embrace what is. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and then that comes more and more with, with uh, I guess also because I meditate now that it and there's more and more focus on just like this it's all about consciousness it's not all about the physical you know where is my physical where is my consciousness it's not in my brain it's not behind my eyes it's not in my gut is it you know where are these 
things like in the brain of making choices or free will or uh, memory, um, uh, love, these yeah. things don't have forms. Yeah. So being more um, curious about that other realm of existence. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think about that too. And I think also it's like going back to the idea of the tangible, like I think spending time around both people and things that are inspiring and make you think about things in different ways, I think actually helps me to feel more kind of present in the moment or to be in touch with my intuition, you know? Um, Like what? Well, like I think like what I, I've always sort of thought, I don't know. I was always very, I hated school. I didn't understand it. I was all very just sort of frustrated by the way the world was organized. And, um, as a kid couldn't really understand why I wasn't so frustrated. You know, I only later did I realize like, Oh, I didn't really have meaning and I didn't really have connections and I didn't have a community and I didn't have people around me that were inspiring and school wasn't really taught in the way that worked for me. Um, and so later in life I decided like, well, you know, the way the world is structured in so many ways doesn't suit me. So I'm going to create my own world. Right. And I think that's what sort of drew me to Tao and drew me to Chris and to Bombay beach. It was like, Oh, let's create a world. And within that world, you know, you turn the corner and you see something that's very unexpected and inspiring. Um, and that, that like just being around people and things that are interesting and unconventional, I think allows you to, um, sort of foster and develop that process that you're talking about around being present with yourself and knowing what you want. Um, yes, you have yeah. to value that process yeah, to right. be intrigued and to be drawn to it. If yeah. you just sort of say, oh, you know, it's some kind of philosophical thing in that, you know, you, that's part of, I think, having this, uh, this, I don't know if it's a compass or like a barometer or something, that, that um, having your, your, your senses in tune with looking for that, what you're looking for, what you're interested in, you know, to find, you find interesting people and you find interesting things to connect with them about because you're looking and you're open. Uh, If you're thinking about very mundane things all the time and, uh, and school is, I think for me, it was, was about a lot of limit limitations, but then for my son Tao, he loves it. You know, he absolutely loved it. I mean, he went on to get, two, you know, two degrees at Berkeley. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> and, and he uses all the things that he learned in school. Um, for me, uh, it was, it was different. I was more thirsty to learn things in, in life. But again, he was in tune with his interests and right. he was very drawn to his professor, uh, Professor Dreyfus. And he became great friends with him and, and other students of his. And, yeah. um, and my other my other son Bartolomeo, he's so much more like me in that he was not that interested in that, but he's uh, you know he has other interests that he feeds. Like he has this beautiful relationship with his horse and with uh, <laughs> just just uh, yeah, and with people. He's incredibly good with uh, you know relationships and yeah. you know. There's a lot of love in his life. He's very much loved and has a really good heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the it's it's funny too because for me with school, like I, I actually 
for a long time thought I had maybe a learning disability or something. I just couldn't figure it out. They just wanted me to memorize all these things and I can't do it and it's not interesting. And then I went to a college that was really interesting that it didn't want to see any standardized tests and it didn't give any tests and it, there were no grades. So you, you would have a grade in case you need to send your transcript on to grad school at some point, but they wouldn't tell you the grade. They would just write you a paragraph about your performance and you didn't have to select a major. So it was this very kind of unconventional kind of hippie way of learning. And of course, at that point in college, I could choose what I wanted to learn about. I didn't have to do math and I didn't have to do science and these things that I couldn't quite grasp and understand. It was like, oh, I can read books and I can write and I want to learn about gender and sexuality. Um, and in that setting, I loved school. It was like, oh my, and I did really well. Um, so I think it's like, you know, again, like following your intuition and what you're actually interested in and not spending time around people that sort of don't allow you to foster that. Um, in know. learning music, I've, um, <clears throat> I've been very uh, blessed to have like people or you know, teachers that, I mean, and just show me something that's really beautiful to play, you know, rather than you have to right. study, you have to do this, and you have yeah. to, you know, the, the the timing, the beat, the music to read it, to practice, and, and just, like, listen to this one note, but really, you know, just play the guitar and hear this this one sound that it's making, and then maybe a few other sounds, and and, and not, not get, because for... You know, obviously, to, to really play an instrument, all that studying and practice is really important. But I think it's also really important to just cultivate that love for a sound, for a material, for um, a process. You yeah. know, it's like when I was acting, there were a few really good people in my acting uh, workshop, and I remember the, you know, the teacher saying, you know, look, they love the process. You know, being in that, you don't know what they're going to do next, right? right. Uh, and I love that in, in architecture and in art. It's like, <laughs> what? I mean, you get some ideas, you get some basic tools and experience and ways to plan as much as you can, but then to just be in that unknown, like, you know, what's going to happen next and how is that light going to shine in and are you going to hear the bells? Are you going to... Uh, feel the, the you know, be able to see the full moon when it comes in through the window on the bed and uh, and and just the more you you kind of set the stage you do that to then be open for the surprises right. right yeah it's so cliche but I do think all of these things like the more we can focus on the journey and the process of it and not the final destination or what it's going to turn out to be the more fulfilled well yeah we because are. I mean we know it's going to end up we're going to die right <laughs> That's for sure. That's the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing that's uh, that's well, maybe not. You know, maybe there's only the eternity at the moment yeah. too. We don't really know that. We experience it, but yeah, yeah that's. I don't wouldn't say it's a cliche. I think it's something to constantly remember the outcome. It's like expect the best, but be ready for the the anything that could happen. Yeah. Uh, but enjoy the journey. Well, thank you, Deborah. I think that's a good, <laughs> a good place to end it. I really appreciate you doing. Thank this. you, thank you so much for having me on your precious podcast. Yeah. So, thank you. It's been a great joy. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day to listen to these conversations or listen to me 
talk ad nauseum about whatever it is that I decide to talk about ad nauseum. I sit down and record these intros to this podcast very often having absolutely no idea what I'm going to say. I just sit down and turn on the mic and hope that something meaningful comes out of my mouth. And I'm really grateful to all of you who reach out and who contact me and who tell me that whatever it is that I said uh, was useful and meaningful. I'm, I don't love the word channel, but I really do feel like sometimes that's what I'm doing. Like I don't, not just with my intros, but with the conversations as well. I was talking to Deborah with this after, after we spoke, like sometimes it feels like, what did we talk about? Or was that actually a good conversation? And then I put it out into the world and so many people come back and say, this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. And it's like, cool, okay, I was just the vessel to get all of you the information that you need. And that feels like such a gift and I'm really grateful for it. That said, I really do love hearing from you all. Um, if you sign up on Substack, anyakots.substack.com, you can actually comment on the episodes, which is really cool and a feature we did not have before. Um, there's also, if you have an iPhone, there's a Substack app, which is really seamless and really easy to navigate. But if you have thoughts on this show, if you want to comment on a favorite episode of yours from the past, you can always do that. Just go to my Substack page, search for the episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as well as all of the others. Uh, really nice to engage with all of you and hear from you and meet you. And I've made so many friends from this show and I know I'm going to make so many more friends from this show as well. So Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you for signing up on Substack. Thank you, especially if you uh, donate money to the podcast to keep it free and advertising free because who likes ads? Really? I don't. I really don't like them and I don't want to have them, but I do need to make a living. So I appreciate your time, your money, your energy, your attention. It really means the world to me. Um, I'm going to play you out today with a song called Against the Wind by Victory, which is another amazing song that I think very much relates to our conversation, uh, the conversation that you just heard with Deborah, just pushing through the unknown, even when it's difficult, knowing that you're here to live a life that is meaningful and all your own and that's oftentimes not easy, but life would be freaking boring if it were easy. So sending you all my love, enjoy the song, and I will catch you next time. Bye. Destiny calling me out from where I am. 